This is Ethan Brosh, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, it's Tommy Thayer from KISS, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks right now. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Sweet from Striper, and you are listening to Iron City Rocks. Hi, this is George Lynch from Instant Dawkins, Souls of Lee, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 256 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, blues talk on the net. Welcome to 2015. This is our first episode of the new year and joining us, uh, one of our favorite guests returning on the show, George Lynch. George has got two great new albums uh, going to be available very shortly. The Lynch Mob put out an album in December uh, called Sun Red Sun, some uh, tracks he recorded with Oni Logan. On the band that has done the last several records with them, that came out um, like I said just before Christmas. We sat down with and talked with him just before Christmas. Also, a great new record coming out on Frontiers Records uh, by Michael Sweet and George Lynch. The band is entitled Sweet and Lynch. Uh, the album is called Only to Rise. That'll be available on Frontiers Records January 27th. Also joining us on the program a little bit later on, we have Ethan Brosh, who is a very talented instrumental guitarist. Reminds me of a lot of the uh, 80s shrapnel-style music, so really was delighted to have a chance to have him on the show. He sat down with us while he was in town opening for Jakey e. Lee's Red Dragon Cartel. So we'll get to Ethan in just a little bit. So without further ado, here's a little bit of the new Sweet and Lynch album. We're going to get into that interview with George Lynch. Welcome back to the show, guitarist George Lynch. How you doing, George? I'm doing good. Good. Um, hard to kind of figure out where to start. You've got several things going on. You guys just released a new video with KXM. You've got a new Lynch Mob album, and you've got a great new record with uh, Michael Sweet. So let's start with the Michael Sweet um, album, The Sweet and Lynch. Um, obviously, he's in Boston. You're out west. Um, how did you guys kind of connect at this point in your careers to do an album? I think it started back uh, a few years ago when we were uh, um, his band and Lynch Mob were doing uh, sharing dates together quite a, um, quite often. Uh, we had the same agent and uh, the Striper, the Striper, mm-hmm. and Lynch would do you know, casinos and boat cruises and uh, festivals and this and that all around the country. So we got you know we're hanging out a lot together and. Um, we actually got caught in a in a shutdown airport, you know, like stuck in a snowdrift for five hours waiting for a, a bus to pick us up to get us to Detroit kind of situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we all the time to be able to hang out yeah. together and uh, bond, you know. So, um, 
Michael had always expressed uh, the desire to maybe do something. At some point, I didn't really know what that would be. Um, so uh, he put, uh, between him and Frontier, they put this project together, Frontier's record, mm -hmm. and uh, he's producing it. And um, so he's looking for a, a writer, partner, writing partner, and obviously the guitar player, you know, as well as the rest of the band. So we had the rest of the band with Brian Fitchy and James Lomenzo. Right. And uh, then they hit me up to do this. So it was, uh, um, I was happy to do it. You know, the business worked out. Everything was good. I knocked it out. Um, and But we worked remotely. So I was never in the studio with them back east. I was out here in my studio and worked with my engineer and uh, wrote most of the songs um, from here, sent them out to... To, to Michael and they re, you know worked on him a little more with as far as um, arrangements and mm -hmm. you know lengthening parts and you know kind of like that up to them how they want to arrange the parts and so forth but uh, and then they tracked all their stuff minus the vocals sent it back to me and I uh, finished up the guitars sent it back to them and Michael did his thing so we never even saw each other I mean <laughs> but it worked out I mean, it became out wonderful it really yeah, it's it's how well the songs just fleshed out. Interesting to think how many bands might survive really, if they didn't I, have to yeah, see each it's other. Like, it's like the, the docking. It's almost like the docking chemistry, you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's got that clear, um, you know, type of voice. It's, it's not a really you know a heavy metal voice or gritty sure. or anything like that. It's but it's, it's kind of that same style of voice that. You know, with these two in Doc, and mm -hmm. but I think um, you know he's got it so together in so many ways. You know, he's such a good guy. He's uh, really hard worker. You know, honest. You know, does what he says he's going to do and gets it done. And and it was really refreshing because that means so much. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, nothing worse than you know working with people that are just won't work. <laughs> exactly. Now, was this different for you? You know, I was trying to remember back through your career, uh, a time when you worked with, I mean, obviously you've had some singers pick up guitarists along the way, but to work with the caliber of a guitarist that Michael is, uh, you know, kind of a tragically underrated guitarist, honestly. Um, did you have to kind of approach anything differently, or is it kind of different for you to play with someone like that? Well, unless we go out live, it isn't anything we even have to think about. But mm -hmm. um, and we are talking about getting out there next year. Um, and I think it's a, a, a wonderful uh, advantage that we would have is, is sure. to be able to have uh, two guitar players. I and mean, obviously, I'd be taking you know a lion's share of the guitar work. Uh, but I, I love having some uh, something else like that on stage with his keyboard, the rhythm guitar. Mm -hmm. Picking the sound uh, up. It sounds more like the record, because, you know, when I do these records, I, I just, very rarely do I go in and just do one track and just solo with no rhythm under it. <laughs> right, exactly. It's just not my style, you know, and not most people's style. And, you know, I like to fill it up and do different things and add ear candy and thick and huge and bombastic and interesting and, you know, atmospheric or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, then you get out there live and you just can't do all that. You know? Sure. I mean, I can't even play Mr. Scary properly live with just by myself. One There's like seven guitars on that song. So it would be wonderful to have, have Michael right. in the mix. And 
Yeah, my, Michael certainly set the bar pretty high with the harmonies you guys would have to work on as far as vocally. But yeah, that would, it's a, you know, very, um, he's got Michael's stamp on him. But what's neat is you can certainly pick your playing out of the songs as well. So it's a, it's a great kind of marriage in a way. Uh, and certainly no slouch in your rhythm section with, you know, James and Brian. Um, you've worked with Brian in the past and, and, um, you know, I think that added a lot. You know, it's kind of cool that the record goes out on a bit of a drum solo. You know, it's kind of a neat way to do that. Um, turning the attention, you've yeah. got a, a new Lynch Mob record now um, with Oni. Um, you want to talk a little bit about when, when you guys recorded that or when you found time to record that? Uh, well, we, we started writing that three years ago, about three years ago. Um, this is when the, uh, I think the band was at its peak, in uh, my opinion, it was a great version of the band. It was Scott Coogan on drums, uh, Robbie Crane on bass, and Oni and myself. Mm-hmm. And I just loved the band on every level. Uh, you know, the chemistry between the guys. We just had a wonderful time just hanging out, traveling, you know, writing, just coexisting together. was just really wonderful. It's what it's all about, you know, being in a band. So I had a lot of high hopes for the project. wanted to keep it together. And, uh, so, um, this, when, you know, when the band was at its peak, this is what we were doing. We were working for months and months on these songs that are now on the Sun Red Sun record. Uh, but things happened, and, uh, the band fell apart. And, uh, very, very unfortunate. I mean, it hit me harder than the Dawkins breakup, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, because I felt, well, you know, at my age, I mean, how many, more times I'm going to get a chance to, to do this, get this right, you know, because sure. I just really want to be in a band, band of brothers and enjoy the experience together and make music and, you know, whether we make a, sell a million records or 10,000 records, I mean, just do it, you know, and enjoy the process. But, um, so I took it pretty hard, but anyways, it's a while ago now and this music has been sitting on the shelf unfinished. So, and it's just it's just been tearing me up. I, I just feel like, you know, I gotta get this out out there for cathartic reasons and just finishing what you start and what's it so good, you know, and just leave it there and never let anybody ever hear it. You know, and so um it's just been this long convoluted process of trying to get it finished over these uh years. You know, I've been working on it consistently, but here and there I've been just trying to, you know, get in touch with everybody and figure out if we can work something out to finish it up and so uh, we finally managed to do it, and it was tricky. <laughs> Were you able to get Ro- Robbie and Scott back in on the record to do the recording? Um, no, they're on. Uh, yes, yeah, th- no, they, they they're on the record. Yeah, um, they you know, they did the bass and drum tracks, uh, both on Sound Mountain Sessions and Sun Red Sun. So, okay. Uh, they're on all that. Um, I just I had to do some guitar work. I only had to finish the vocals. Sure. Um, and we had to mix it. Um, so yeah, that's it's finished. It's it's out uh, uh, December 9th, I believe. Okay. Uh, and actually, as we speak, uh, Oni and I are in the midst of recording another full-length record. Oh, okay, great. Um, that's going to be out next spring. I don't have a title for that one yet, but that's for Frontiers Records as well, same label that 
we sure. uh, record on. Now, one of the things I think anybody who's kind of followed your career has noticed over the last probably five or six years, it seems to be the amount of material you've been releasing is is fairly substantial in a, in a record industry that's kind of going the other direction, where bands are going longer and longer between records. We're seeing, you know, you know, three new George Lynch appearances, in, you know, in a relatively short span with KXM, and you know, even if you go back to the TNN, which wasn't all that long ago. Um, how do you make that work? I mean, is, do you have your own studio, or do you just work very efficiently? Uh, both. I have my own studio, which I'm constantly um, working on and you know, investing in, getting it closer and closer to, to what I want. I mean, uh, and then I use outside locations as well that, that work for me. But yeah, I mean, we have to be very careful, of course, how we how we spend our time and our money. Days. Uh, I just think it's phenomenal. I don't want to talk about too much about money, but the KXM record, for instance, was done in not including mixing, but it was done in ten days. That's the writing as well. And it's not like it's a it's a, it's a horse race or a contest, you know. But it was a matter of we you know, between the three of us, Ray, Doug, and myself, we did not have any time to do this, so we had to get really creative and. Um, you know, try to find a way to wedge ourselves in between all our other obligations. Sure. And so we didn't even have time for pre-production to write songs and bring them in or anything like that. So, um, which means it didn't cost a lot to make the record. Yeah, exactly. You've you've stripped out you know all that bloated you know producers and you know all that stuff. In studios, I mean, we went into the Sam Mountain Studios uh, just to. In a vacant two-story house up in the Tehachapi Mountains in California, very remote on 10 acres, and it's a you know beautiful, livable house, four bedroom, two story, but it's got a studio built. In. And uh, so you can stay there. So it doesn't you know spend money on hotels, mm-hmm. bring your own food, so you're not eating out, you know, every meal, and uh, bring a skeleton crew and our engineer and a video guy, and um, you know. Ten days. I mean, Get it, done. it doesn't cost a lot to do that. The video is not expensive, and and uh, and just have it mixed, you know. And uh, cool. Um, yeah, it was. We were very efficient um, with our time and, and our money, and uh, it really worked out. You know? If you, if you know, I wish I knew how to do that back when I was getting, you know, ten times the amount of money I'm getting now for records. <laughs> yeah, you could have kept a lot more in your pocket that, in that. Era. Oh, we, we, we'd spend uh, half a million dollars on records back then. Yeah. Um, George, uh, just... Uh, uh, two more records, a million dollars for both of them. Exactly. Can we just get a quick update on the Shadow Train uh, project, uh, how that is progressing? Yeah, that's virtually finished. Um, a lot of mop-up things we need to do. We have some archive footage that uh, is having difficulties getting high-res and, and uh, rights for, but we will get it in December. Um, so that will be replaced. Uh, there's the voiceover thing we're working on this week out in New Mexico. Um, color correction, I believe, is finished. Uh, uh, we just finished up all the sound design. Uh, so, uh, like, you know, like last the week before last, I went in with Matt Oliva, our, our sound design engineer, and we needed some little transition parts on a slide guitar, you know, mm-hmm. open tuning, sort of kind of thing behind it, sort of a Daniel Landlock kind of feel. So 
we went in and we did that. We did, you know, there's just always little things that we're finding that we need to fix, you know. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're close. So where we're at now is we're at the point where, you know, we have people, some people working with us that are trying to get us distribution to get it out there in the film festivals. And so that's, sure. We're having a movie poster design and the cover of the movie design, and we're putting packages together. And we've submitted to probably, I would say, 40, um, yes, uh, film festivals. Uh, and uh, it's, it's the business part now. So we'll yeah. Wait, see if we can get it somehow marketed, you know, so it can get out in front of people so people can see it. And um, that's the hardest part. Because I don't know this business like I know this. Yeah, yeah, this is certainly a, there's a lot a lot goes into making and you know producing and like you mentioned distributing you don't even think about that necessarily when you talk, think about a movie you know but that's certainly a big deal. George, we we wish you all the best. Uh, obviously, you're going to be a busy man. Hopefully, we'll catch you on the road in 2015 uh, with one of the bands. Right, thank you so much. All right, George, thank you. All right, a big thanks, George Lynch. Again, the album Only to Rise by Sweet and Lynch will be available on the 27th on Frontiers Records. The Sun Red Sun Lynch Mob album is available now on Rat Pack Records. If you go to Rat Pack America, uh, you can find out some great deluxe editions and, and fun ways to buy that album. Always do a great job at Rat Pack Records with that. So two albums from George Lynch. It's uh, kind of interesting, the, the just amazing amount of uh, music that George Lynch has put out over the last couple of years. Uh, after being, uh, you know, a little bit behind the shadows for a while, it's really great to see a lot of this stuff come out now. So, look forward to those. Also joining us now on the program, uh, guitarist Ethan Brosh. Ethan, uh, I had the opportunity to interview him a year or so ago for GuitarWorld.com. I was really uh, interested in his playing. It reminds me a lot of of what we got from Shrapnel Records back in the '80s, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, really cool. Um, Instrumental rock guitar. Uh, don't want to necessarily say shred because I don't. I don't think he's uh, necessarily in that Ingve Malmsteen mold. I know he did some touring with Ingve Malmsteen, ironically, but um, very melodic hard rock player. Uh, kind of to me, more of a Satriani uh, meets uh, Vinnie Moore kind of style uh, guitar. So really interesting, uh, good listen. So we're gonna get into that interview with Ethan Brosh right now.
right, ladies and gentlemen, with me I have Ethan Brosh. How are you doing today, Ethan? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me, Sean. Oh, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, currently, you're out on the road with uh, Red Dragon Cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about the tour, how it's going. The tour is going great. Actually, tomorrow is the last night of the tour. Uh, so we have uh, tonight's show and tomorrow night in uh, Baltimore. And I'm kind of sad because I'm having such a great time on, on the road, you know, for me. I mean, that's what I love to do anyway, and to be opening for one of my, you know, biggest influences in J.K. Lee, this is, uh, it is a dream come true, you know, and, like, I wish it was longer. Right, I was going to ask, um, what's it been like being out on the road for the last month or so with J.K. Lee? It's awesome, you know, I mean, I've been waiting for this guy to make a comeback for, like, 20 years, and there was a time years ago that I even heard a rumor that he was dead and for years I thought that Jakey Lee was dead um, later on when I found out the truth I was really happy to know that he's still alive and um, and he could uh, potentially show me how to play Bark at the Moon one day <laughs> which he did cool. and uh, he showed me a bunch of other stuff on this tour and, and it's for me it's so amazing because you know like all these hours that I spent in front of my stereo just trying to hear all these little details of what Jake was playing and him finally showing showing me the actual secrets it's amazing so yeah I'm having a blast and his band is great his crew great people you know and the bands are the two bands my band and their band uh, everyone's becoming good friends and it's just um, you know I couldn't be happier it's it's good time so uh, with with, uh, like you said the tour is wrapping up the second to last show um, what has the highlight been like if you look back at all the shows what's been your biggest highlight of the tour um, I haven't really done that I haven't looked back at it yet because it's not over um, it's hard to tell I think the show in uh, Dayton Ohio was actually really good it was a very good venue and people really dug it um, there are a little a lot of I mean a lot of things that here and there you can just look back and, and think about them being special, you know, some of the, the times that we got to hang out with Jake and, like, just joking around and sometimes, like, him showing me some parts and some shows that were just really good, playing in Chicago, playing in, in Dayton, and uh, just having fun on the road with my friends, basically, right. you know. Um, let's talk a little bit about your uh, most recent album that came out uh, earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, Living the Dream. Um Live the dream. Live the dream, sorry. (laughs) Um, What did you try to do on this album that was different from uh, the other album, like Out of the Oblivion? Um, Well, I didn't want to do something completely different. I wanted to keep it in a rock context because, uh, you know, I mean, there's some things that are different. I try to have it be more... I, I try to incorporate more riffs and more rhythm in that record just because uh, Out of Oblivion was lacking that a little bit I tried to put some acoustic guitars that I didn't do on on the first record and I also knew a lot more um, about the process of making a record because this is something when I made Out of Oblivion I really had no idea what I was getting myself into and it ended up taking me a really long time to complete it because I just made a lot of mistakes and I had to go back and fix them and it was very painful right. um, and with Live Your Dream it just uh, it worked out a lot better I, I knew what I was doing and I think that overall it just it, 
you know, it sounds better and it's recorded better. Um, as far as the music or the composition, that's not really up to me to decide. You know, obviously, Out of Oblivion is my first record, and it has uh, certain songs that date a long, a long time ago. Um, and with Live the Dream, they're newer songs, so there's a big difference between a first record and any other record after that. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, but it's hard for me to be objective, you know, so uh, this is for everyone else to decide. Um, what's your writing process like? Is it, and also, is it more difficult to write, like, an instrumental album as compared to an album that's going to have, like, a vocalist? Um, no, I don't think it's more difficult to, um, to write it because I approach writing a vocal song or an instrumental song in pretty much the same exact way. Um, even my instrumental songs, they have an intro and they have a verse and a chorus and a bridge and a guitar solo, of course. And, uh, and I try to approach it pretty much the same way. Um, you don't have to write lyrics, which makes it easier, but at the same time, when you record the whole thing, that then it becomes a lot more difficult because there are way more parts and it's a lot more technically challenging. Um, and the other thing is with instrumental music, um, it's really easy to get the listener bored out of their mind right. because uh, you know people expect to hear vocals. So my challenge as an instrumental guitar player is to keep it interesting. And the way I typically do it is uh, I try to have um, the songs being very different from one another in terms of groove, in terms of speed, in terms of key, in terms of like the, the mode that they're in, the mood that they're in, um, the, the tones that I have coming out of my guitar. Um, so I try to have everything be different and be kept interesting and the tunes still have a song form. And I never write instrumental tunes starting with, all right, I have this shred lick, right. let me make a tune out of that. Right. I never approach it that way. And uh, I don't think that would be a really wise decision to do that. Now, you went to school for, uh, at Berkeley. Yes. Um, did that formal music education help you with the songwriting process? And my, my major at Berkeley was actually songwriting. Okay. So I knew early on that, you know, this is really what it's all about. It's... All about creating music, writing songs, writing compositions, and uh, this is something that I've always paid attention to, and I, I still do. You know, it's right. just—it's always a learning process. Whenever you're listening to anything, just um, you know, you'll hear a, a song and you'll be like, "Oh, this is such a clever move on that song." Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, this is something that I did at Berkeley, but Berkeley is just a, a part of uh, a part of the journey. Right. You know, this is something that, you know, I've written tunes before Berkeley and after Berkeley and, you know, and I, I was learning before Berkeley and will continue learning always after Berkeley. Always yeah, learning. So. Um, Dave Ellison from Megadeth yes. passed on this album. How'd you uh, hook up with him? Uh, we were in a band together a few years ago, okay. a band called Angels of Babylon mm -hmm. that started by a drummer named Rhino, who was the drummer of Manowar. Um, and... Rhino actually asked me to join that band and he was already um, he already had Dave Ellison on board and four days after we, we released our first record Dave Ellison went back to Megadeth so as a Megadeth fan you know this was amazing for me but um, for our band Angels right. of Babylon wasn't the best timing um, 
but you know what? I mean, then Dave and I became friends, and uh, he's a, such a great professional. I, I love the way that he works, um, and I love the way that he plays, and his tone and everything. And I was fortunate enough to have him participate on uh, on Live the Dream, and I even played a, a solo for one of his songs too. Okay. Um, yeah. um, this album was released on uh, Rocker Records, which is uh, Carmine Car- 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 PC. And then your first album was Magna Carta, which uh, yeah, Mike Varney. Yeah. So you know, two big names right there. You got Carmine Peace, you know, one of the best metal drummers out there, and Mike Varney, who uh, you know launched the career of tons of you know guitarists, oh, Jason yeah. Becker, Murray Friedman. Yeah, the um, list goes on and on. Yeah. Is the uh, what's your experience with you know both those guys? Um, I don't know. They, I, I mean, I consider both of them friends. You know. Um, Mike Varney is a legendary um, record producer and like label executive, you know, and uh, he's definitely approaching the business in a slightly different way than Carmine. Carmine is just a legendary drummer; everybody knows him, and it's kind of cool because he actually came to the first show uh, on this tour in New York, and I got to reintroduce him to Jake Lee, and they haven't seen each other in 30 years, wow. you know, or even over 30 years. Right. Because Carmine actually played drums on the Mark at the Moon tour uh, until he got fired by Sharon and got replaced by uh, Tommy Aldridge. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're both great guys. You know, I love Mike, Mike Varney, and I love Carmine, obviously. It's not, you know, not bad people to be associated with or whatnot. No. Um, growing up, who were your influences? Um, I can give you my top five uh, guitar players. I mean, first of all, Iron Maiden is my, uh, probably my biggest influence because, uh, you know, I, it, the, Iron Maiden is really the band that got me into playing guitar in the first place. Discovered them when I was like 10 years old. Right. Um, so, Adrian Smith, such a great guitar player, you know, definitely a big influence on me. Um, George Lynch and Greg Howe that I was so fortunate to have them both play on my first record, you know, still to this day are my top, like two of my top favorites. Of course, Jake Lee, you know, right. and you know, it's not a coincidence that I'm sitting here with right. you on tour with Jake Lee. Um, Nuno Bettencourt, another, you know, big influence. And uh, of course, Inve Malmsteen. Right. But I got to be careful with Invit just because, you know, everybody in the world rips him off, you know, <laughs> and I just don't want to be another one of these guys. And um, I think, you know, when I was on tour with him last year, he, you know, he did not think that I was another one of his rip-offs, which made me very happy. So I, I, you know, I realized that, you know, I made the right decision not to go down that road. I mean, he's still a huge influence mm-hmm. as far as, like, songwriting. This is something that he never gets credited Right. credit at for you know he's such a great songwriter and just his um the way he performs and the way everything is um for him he's on every night and it doesn't matter what the turnout is or it doesn't matter what what goes on around him he's always absolutely focused and in his own world and he's on all the time and that's something that i'd like to think that you know i've I've taken from him a little bit, you know, for me, it still, um, it still bothers me, you know, if like, if I start playing early and not a lot of people are at the venue or something, these things really affect me, and uh, I try to be inspired by Invents, right. just being like 100% no matter what, so, um, yeah. Hey, I mean, I've seen him a few times, he's, you know, great show live, and I can, you know, it's good, you 
seeing that work ethic and whatnot. Now, you mentioned Nuno Betancourt. Now, you both are guys from Boston. Yeah. Have you, that, have you ever had a chance to work with him at all? Or that, Nuno is the one guy that I still haven't had the chance to work with. Um, I'm sure it will happen one day. Right. I'm not sure in what um, capacity, but um, yeah, I mean, I've I met him many, many times, and he's just—he's such a monster player. It's right. just ridiculous, ridiculous. Um, talk a little bit about your gear. What do you use on the road? What do you use to record with? Um, what I use mostly is equipment that's uh, made by a company named ISP Technologies. Uh, they're based in Michigan, and they made the famous uh, decimator which is the noise reduction unit that you know it seems like every guitar player in the world has one of these pedals um, but now they make I mean they make a head that's called the Theta and they have a bunch of versions of it in a combo and a um, uh, rack mount uh, they a couple of years ago they released a pedal a pedal version of the head and it sounds exactly like it so that's what I'm actually using on tour and there's also like they with the pedal they released a power amp that the pedal is a preamp and they also released a power amp that's really really tiny and it's very powerful um, so for me that's actually what I'm using on this tour it's really small and really simple and it gets me the tone that I'm so used to on stage you know in two seconds and it's just it's perfect so ISP Technologies for any guitar player I would highly highly recommend it they make they make the best stuff out there cool guitar wise what do you uh, play um, I've been like I guess the past couple of years I've been using the Fender HM Strat right. the, the old one from like 89 or yeah, 88 remember um, the Strats when they first came out yeah yes. I, I bought this particular blue Strat from um friend of mine named Max Dybel who's also a great great guitar player um, and those guitars are, are awesome right you know, they look beautiful they're so comfortable to play and sp- specifically that one it's just like it's the best uh, Fender HM that I ever put my hands on like, it has really big frets and whatever and uh, I'm starting to get really attached to this guitar so pretty soon I'm going to be afraid of taking it <laughs> out of the house <laughs> Um, cool. So, tours wrapping up. What are your plans for the future? Um, well, for the near future, January, I'm you know I'm going to NEM and I'll be playing demoing for that company I just told you about, ISP Technologies. Uh, maybe for Kale or two. I'm not sure. Um, and then February, I'm going to be doing more Drum Wars shows with, with uh, Carmine and Vinnie Apice. It's a cool show where they have two drum sets and mm-hmm. they go at each other and they play Dio songs and Black Sabbath and Ozzy and like all kinds of cool stuff. And I get to play guitar on that. Cool. And a couple of weeks ago, they released a, a CD on Cleopatra Records um, that I'm on. Uh, we, we recorded that show. In, it's a live CD and we recorded it um, at the Iridium in New York City. Okay. So in February, February we're going to do more, more of those shows. And... May or June, I don't know. I'm going to possibly try to book my own tour. Um, We'll see how it goes. I'm sure a lot of other stuff will just pop up. And at the same time, I'm I'm, I'm writing my third record. I have a bunch of ideas, and I... Continuing do you to do a lot of writing on the road? or On the road, no. I don't get to do any writing or any okay. playing whatsoever. It's just right. like, you know, warm up for two minutes before I go on stage and my hands are freezing and that's right. usually the way it is. And at the end of the show, I'm just dealing with all kinds of other stuff. So, yeah, I wish, 
you know I mean maybe at some point if those tours will be much bigger and more organized then I'll just have you know time to just sit and right. practice but you know when your friends are not right next to you it's really hard to like right. focus and go and practice you know you want to hang out and right. all that stuff but you know what when I'm home you know I get to do more of that so it's all good alright well uh, you know good luck tonight and uh, the rest of the tour show and yeah, thank uh, you luck, so much in the future thank you thank you very much all right thanks for coming on all right thank you to ethan brosh also george lynch so if you were a guitarist i hope you really enjoyed this episode uh and check out our website ironcityrocks.com we have been uh, been blessed to be joined by just so many great guitarists over the last several years uh, steve i joe satriani steve morris eric johnson and that list goes on and on so if you're into this kind of music uh, we wholeheartedly check out Iron City Rocks and see what else we have to offer. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes. Uh, we're on Facebook.com forward slash Iron City Rocks, Twitter.com forward slash Iron City Rocks. Uh, you can always email us at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from people. Uh, if you've got a band that you're interested in getting on the show, you like the content we're doing you hate the content we're doing, we still love to hear from each and every one of you. So please encourage you to drop a line. Also, a uh, reminder, if you're watching on social media, if you're in western Pennsylvania, Iron City Rocks annually does a western Pennsylvania slash Pittsburgh uh, music award for local talent as well as a western Pennsylvania Hall of Fame. So the voting for that is going on through the 23rd of January. So if you're uh, interested in a particular band, uh, you can go there and check that out. I would like to just say uh, on the record... All nominations are done by fan votes. All voting for the finalists are done by fan votes. Uh, none of us involved with Iron City Rocks nominate or vote. So I uh, guess that leads us to say if you don't like the winners, vote. If you don't like uh, your band not making it, vote. Uh, that would be the easiest uh, easiest approach. Get your fans involved. Get your band involved if you're interested. So I'd like to thank you for your time. I invite you to check out our next episode. Take care.